Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Eric. Thank you. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm a compulsive overeater. And, uh, uh, you know, I would just like to say maybe at this top, for people who listen to this uh, podcast from far away, this truly is one of the most beautiful, powerful meals, meetings I've ever attended. <laughs> and, and I mean it sincerely. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. I was telling uh, some of my friends that I know that, you know, I don't know if you've ever had one of those days where you drive up and you're just like, man, I just it's just not there today. I don't have it. And... Uh, Coming in, not only were so many people out there shaking hands, I loved it, but some guy says, oh, I've heard your story before. You are one messed up dude. (laughs) And that made me feel so good, you know, Uh, especially as a compulsive overeater. So uh, I want to talk about what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. Uh, I've been in the program or around the program, I like to say, for many, many years. I came in in 1992. I'm one of those people that, that, like so many of us, there really was not much of an era when I was not a compulsive overeater. Uh, I grew up in a time when latchkey children was a normal way of bringing up a child. Uh, my mom loved to work, and I can still remember she stayed home until uh, I did kindergarten. But the last day of kindergarten, you know, she picked me up to go see where her new job would be. And so from first grade on, I came home to an empty house. Uh, was probably the only second grader who was watching Mike Douglas, you know, really following <laughs> modern trends. And uh, uh, it was at that time that I just discovered, frankly, binge eating. You know, uh, uh, certainly on my dad's side, there's a lot of addictions. And, uh, it, you know, I think part of us come into this disease, certainly I did, because, you know, when you're eight years old, it's very difficult to get a prescription for medical marijuana, you know, or uh, let alone booze. And, let, you know, you really got to have an alcohol, alcoholic parent that will endorse. And so food was my drug of choice. And I ballooned up at one, uh, you know, very powerful moment, uh, uh, you know, as soon as I discovered this disease. Uh, and I continued that way for many, many years in my life. Thanks to, you know, the, those teenage years and a fast metabolism, I kind of kept the weight off a little bit during my teen years. But as soon as I, you know, got out of high school and so forth, the weight came back on. So I've always been a compulsive overeater. Um, and I was married for a while. I came into the program at the tail end of my marriage. Uh, I was married to a woman for, for about uh, ten years. Uh, we were happily married for four, and then we stayed married another six just to spite each other. Uh, because divorce would have been too good a gift to give each other. Uh, she was an alcoholic, and I was a compulsive overeater. And uh, uh, as I said, we both lived in our disease very, very well. Um, I first came into the program, as I said, at the tail end of my marriage because uh, I was eating desperately, you know, and hiding food and just, you know, a horrible lifestyle of, of uh, you know, I would take my wife to work and then I'd, she worked right next to a grocery store and then I'd pick up all these binge foods and come back and eat, you know, and meanwhile she'd come home and drink and it was just a horrible cycle and, and I wanted it to end. And so I came into the program for the first time in 1992 and... Uh, uh, I was very fortunate to find just a perfect sponsor for that era. Uh, 
And uh, she was a, a woman at the time. It was very hard to find men in program. And she was a woman who had sort of grown up in New Jersey and had that sort of classic accent. And whenever I got out of line, you know, she'd be, what are you doing, you know? And, and, and really helped me get some recovery. I, I also got divorced at that time. And, and uh, this program really single-handedly saved me at that time. Uh, but what I always sort of like to talk about, uh, about this disease is, you know, uh, uh, I always like to, to share the Chapter 5 part. Uh, the first time I came in program, I got a great deal of recovery, but and I worked the steps, but I didn't really work them rigorously, and I didn't really present myself, if you will, into this program. You know, I got recovery. Uh, I maybe was delegate for one round of, of time, and then I just began attending meetings. You know, and my trajectory of recovery, if you don't keep working it, if you don't keep sort of propelling yourself back up into the air, it just slowly fell off. And uh, I had, as I said, decent recovery for maybe two or three years and then just began drifting away from meetings, drifting away from any role in this program. And, you know, the next thing you know, just right back into the food. You know, it, it's amazing how you can just drift away from this program. Uh, and so uh, I drifted away from program and I gained a pretty good amount of weight back. Uh, and uh, when I came back into program, I began exploring, you know, sort of geographical attendance in the program. I attended, I was always lived in the Valley, but for a while I just attended uh, HAL meetings on the West Side, you know, and got a little recovery there and then lost the recovery. And then I would show up at other meetings in, in La Cunada and get recovery and lose it and go. Uh, and towards the very end, and, you know, and I always uh, love to point out that, you know, all I need to be a member in this program is a desire to stop eating compulsively. But part of our disease are these crazy fantasies that we create in our head that, you know, I had this fantasy that I would show up at a meeting and say, well, but not you. You know, we're adding, but not Eric, you know. Uh, and that simply wasn't the case. But to give you an idea of just how radically I lost every conceivable group I could attend, there is a program, I don't know if they still exist, but at the time there was a program called GSA, or Gray Sheet Anonymous. And it was a little program of people that still wanted to work. Maybe some people will know of this classic Gray Sheet that was one of the first absences in the program. And there was one meeting uh, in the entire nation that was over at the farmer's market on Fair facts and I attended that one for a short while until I broke that abstinence and drifted away uh, and so again I found myself out of program uh, and I came back in the early 2000s uh, this is where I'd like to point out something that that you know was striking me about my disease back then that I really try to keep it a very constant theme right now today that that I always love to save the chapter five part because it talks about those people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves because you know I'm not just a compulsive overeater but my absolute worst problem in this world is the way I lie and lying to you is nothing I can lie to everybody in this room and, and the only memory I have anymore is I can tell every person an individual lie and I can remember every individual lie. But the worst lying I do is the lying to myself. And 
that really, aside from drifting away and not taking an obligation into this program, uh, has always been the model for my departure from the program. Is I start being dishonest with myself, then I spread that dishonesty to my sponsor, and then slowly I can't live with that and I drift away from the program. And so uh, that is a cornerstone of every time I've left the program. I came in in the early 2000s and tried to get recovery uh, yet again. And I began reattending the meetings that, that I had always been associated with up into the valley. And I found a sponsor who worked with me and was very helpful uh, to move me along in this program. Uh, however, as I said, the same problem uh, uh, began appearing in, in my life again, and it was this problem with honesty. Uh, I tell the story before that, you know, I, I, I would order two pizzas and, and, you know, claim that as two slices, you know, just two big round slices of, of pizza, you know. Uh, I would deconstruct and say I had oatmeal and raisins when I had oatmeal raisin cookies, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, all right, you know. Uh, a loaf of bread with some wheat, you know, that kind of, you know, and on and on and on and on. And uh, uh, it was just horrible. And, and it was that time in program where <coughs> I began to identify with this first chapter, uh, or the first paragraph in chapter five about people who uh, are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Uh, and I heard someone say once that, that uh, I don't know how true it is, that Bill W. always regretted writing that paragraph in a way because so many of us in this program identify with it, of which I have uh, identified with it, as I said, for many years in program. But today I use it as, as a cornerstone in my recovery. So I drifted away from program and actually left it in the mid-2000s because I was convinced that uh, I simply couldn't get honest with myself. And if I couldn't get honest with myself and then with another person, there was no point in attending the meeting. And I drifted away from program and went whole hog in my disease. Uh, uh, a real motivating action occurred to me several years ago. I have almost, I'll have four years of abstinence coming up in October. Uh, five years uh, uh, ago in a November, uh, I had a significant act occur to me where I lost someone extremely important in my life. Uh, and one of those losses where, you know, you wonder if you can go on. And... Uh, uh, I uh, 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 suffered a lot because of that and uh, uh, at the time that happened in November and I swore to myself that come January 1st the best thing I could do to turn my life around was to get abstinent get all these things right and then you know that would be uh, uh, as an honor to that you know thing it would make me right in the world in other words I figured if I would finally get abstinent stop drinking and all that and January 1st came uh and I didn't do it, you know. By noon, I was already binging. And on the second, you know, by noon, already binging. And I literally spun together 300, I think it was, straight days in a row where every day was going to be the last. Every day, tomorrow was going to be the day it all started. And the next day would come, and before noon or 5 o'clock, I was having, you know, two slices of pizza or, you know, oatmeal and raisins. You know, uh, and, and it just went on. And, you know... Um, uh, we look for these bottoms in program, you know, and and stringing on so many of those days, and I was involved in other substances, and so I was just compounding my issue. And uh, uh, I've shared this before. 
I, I'm very grateful that I had a profound moment in time. Uh, it was coming up on the one-year anniversary of this particular event, and here I had come along this whole year and had not been absolutely able to turn my life around to save my, uh, you know, to save myself. And I began going a little crazy. And over the matter of a couple of days, I just went literally ever more and more crazy. And uh, the day before I came in program, I got so crazy wild that I was screaming at my neighbors in such a tone that they were looking at me, you know, thinking to call the police. And I don't go into great graphic details, but I really went off the deep end. And, and so much so, and I was raised by a rageaholic father that, you know, I channeled my father. And in seeing that, I was just scared, shocked, you know, humiliated beyond belief. And I went into my house, and I sat on my sofa, and that was the one moment uh, uh, that was very profound for me to remember because I sat on that sofa, and I realized, uh, like the lion in Shawshank Redemption, I really had to decide whether to get living or get started dying because I was surely killing myself. I just wasn't doing it fast enough. And in that moment... Uh, I did, you know, as I said, I decided, I realized finally like the first step said, that I'm powerless over my food and, you know, my life is unmanageable. Uh, and I looked for a way to help myself. And uh, part of the story I don't often say is when I first thought to help myself, I called my doctor and I said, I need some drugs right now. I'm going crazy, you know. And he said, well, we'll make an appointment about three weeks from today. Uh, and, you know, I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I realized that, you know, as I said, if I did not get this program right, I was going to really lose it. And uh, uh, <clears throat> I, I got up the next morning and I called in. I actually called my boss and said I needed to take a, a several days off. And I went to a meeting that I knew. And uh, uh, I went into that meeting. And then that night I went to the 100 Pounders meeting because I had in my mind a fellow that I was going to have sponsor me. And... Uh, uh, that night at the meeting, uh, I did not ask him to sponsor me, but, but I like sharing this story because it, it really reflects what I see at this meeting and love so much. This person shared that night that, you know, we're all here to help each other. We're in a desperate search to try and, you know, propel and continue our own recovery. And even if I have one day in program, as far as the newcomer is concerned, I'm a day ahead of them. And there's any reason in the world why I can't turn around and shake the hand of that person and talk to them and get to know them. And that really stuck, you know, struck with me. And I proceeded to go to every subsequent meeting after that and just stand in front of the door. Uh, I am painfully shy, you know, it's my nature. Uh, and, you know, in this disease, that is just absolutely, that's the twofer, you know, because if you think about it, my most comfortable state is in my home with the curtains drawn, the lights off, and, you know, the new binge series, Orange is the New Black, you know. <laughs> you know if you think about it, what do I got there? I got six hours just waiting, you know, you know and, and four local dominoes. So, you know, I, everything, you know. Uh, and I came to the meetings, and uh, uh, some guys that I hang around with now love to throw this up at me. Uh, I made it to, there's, there's a meeting in the Valley on Sunday that some of you may have heard about. It's a big meeting. A lot of people are there. And I showed up at that meeting uh, on that Sunday, having put together about four days of just desperately hanging on and coming to every meeting and shaking every hand that I could possibly shake. And I pitched at that meeting that Sunday something that was, I don't even remember what I pitched and shared, but it was totally out there. It was really out there. I was in a very bad situation. And after the meeting, a fellow came up to me and he said, uh, 
I want you to go to this place and I want you to wait because there's a bunch of us coming to help you. And I'm getting choked up, but but I did that. And you know, and that that's just so beautiful to think about because that's what this program is about. And it, it helps to remind us sometimes that, you know, those guys, you know, they sat down and and I just said stuff, you know, we love living with our secrets, you know, when we live in this disease. And I get choked up because probably in that episode and, and in another episode was the first time in my life that I ever just laid everything out there, every possible bad thing I did. And, you know, and the great thing is, like I heard today, you know, they heard that and they said, man, you're just one messed up dude like we are, you know. And, and they helped me. And I got a sponsor and, uh, you know, this program has, has really changed my life, you know. Uh, I really have just the best life I could possibly imagine today. And I still have to work this program very hard. And some of the stuff I say, like right now, I say mostly just so I can remember myself. You know, I've reached that point. As I'm approaching four years, you know, it's very easy for me to just show up and sit in the chair. And it's as hard for me today as it was four years ago to stand out there and shake hands. But, you know, that's the other beauty that I like about this meeting, is, you know, to be able to come here and see the way you guys work this meeting and stand out and you have greeters. It's it's such a revelation for me to see and know, you know, how much more I need to work the program. Now, uh... What I do today is I call my sponsor every day. I try to connect with other people in program. I do writing in the morning, and I try to be as rigorously honest as I can on a daily basis, mostly with myself and with another person. Uh, I have a morning ritual, and uh, I try to meditate as much as I can, and that's a big relief as well because it gets me out of who I am and uh, uh, and things of that sort. And... Uh, uh, well, that's all I have to say tonight. Uh, uh, so I don't know that I even uh, we came. I came really short tonight, didn't I? Yeah, twenty more minutes. Uh, 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 all right. I have a karaoke machine in my car <laughs> and one dance number, but that's it. Uh, all right. Well, this is the first light of candle, I guess, where you come up with twenty minutes to go. Uh, Questions? Any questions? Oh, that's a great question. So the question is to maybe talk a little bit about my food plan. Uh, well, amongst the, the as I said, uh, the fellows that work with me and, and that I try to be a part of, we talk a lot about sober eating. And that has been a real revelation for me and program. Because, uh, you know, a lot of us talk about this notion that we have to, you know, contend with food three days and maybe two snacks and so forth. And the best thing I like to remind myself in recovery is something that I heard a fellow share the other day. He was talking about his food plan and about how easy it is actually for him to eat very boring foods. You know, uh, when I read the big book today, it's, it's interesting. And all the other times I read the big book, I never sort of cued in to what I read more and more about how these alcoholics all started because they either liked the effects alcohol had on them or they liked the way it tasted. And for some reason, that never registered. 
But you know, when I look at my disease, I am essentially and mostly a sugar addict, just a rabid sugar addict. And I mean so bad that I will say this about my food plan. At, to this day, I'm very serious about where sugar appears in the product. And I try everything I can, frankly, to not even have it appear. You know, some people say three down, five down. I try to make sure that I don't see it you know, and don't know about it, and I'm very sensitive when I eat it. I try to not eat anything with sugar in it. Now, I eat fruits and so forth, but I find that, you know, uh, uh, the best and easiest food for me to eat is a big salad with as much vegetables as I care to put in there because I find, for whatever reason, I never binge on salad with vegetables, you know. I have this, you know, complicated theory, but I do feel that there's two kinds of foods we eat. There's foods we really like, and there's foods we don't like. And there's foods we can control, and there's foods we can't control. And frankly, those two categories exist. You know, even there's foods I don't like that I can't control. You know, I'm, I'm a sugar addict, but I would never choose lemon chiffon pie. But if I was on a desert island and there was a truckload of them, you know, I would be in real trouble and look for a meeting on that island. Uh, <laughs> so I, I do try to be very mindful of that. And I'm very lucky to have a sponsor. You know, it's funny that sometimes I get real resentful of my sponsor because I weigh myself once a month. And sometimes when the scale goes up, you know, I, I don't get the attention from him that maybe I want to talk about the food because I do think that that's a very important issue. If the scale is going up and, and for too long, something is going wrong. But what I do really love and have come to love about him is he watches, you know, because I also tend to be a bit of a thematic eater. You know, like I said, I eat salad a lot. Now, that's no problem, you know. Uh, as I said, salad with vegetables is never an issue. But... Uh, uh, sometimes I can buy certain foods and all of a sudden I'm having them breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, you know, and, and he'll point that out. Uh, but the best thing I can do today is, you know, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, is to try and eat foods that I don't particularly, you know, get really into the taste. You know, there's still a lot of foods I like and I do still eat a lot of foods I like. I try to cook the food I like. That's the biggest miracle in my life today. I was never someone who cooked. And a great deal of my recovery, I realized today, especially because I mentioned in the processed foods, you know, I never realized, but there's just, there is no deli meat that doesn't have sugar in it. I didn't realize that, you know. Obviously, I try never to notice that, you know. But, uh, so, you know, I can't make deli, or, you know, I can't eat deli meat unless I make it myself, and I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and so, you know, I cook my own soups, and so, and, and you know, and, and I find, uh, ironically, you know, when I put that work in, I respect the work I did, and so I don't want to just eat it, you know, after all that effort, eat it all. But uh, I try to keep, keep the simple foods that are healthy for me, uh, and uh, uh, that I don't particularly, you know, spike off my, my enjoyment of food, you know. I really try to focus in recovery to, to, you know, eat to live and eat healthy and all that. I don't always succeed, but that's where I try to get guidance. How does God work in my life? That's a very good question. Uh, because uh, I work with sponsees and... and uh, uh, we talk a great deal. I work with a lot of sponsees that don't really have a belief in a higher power. Uh, and I think that actually that's a very good question because that seemed maybe was missing from my talk today. Uh, I believe in a higher power and I trust most of my decisions to that. You know, uh, and whether you believe in a higher power or not, the way I live life today is when things happen to me, I pause and I ask my higher power, what is the action? 
you know. My worst problem in the disease, as I mentioned, is my, is my inclination to jump into the fantasy. You know, I want to jump into the fantasy. You know, and, and even now with, you know, over three years of recovery, those fantasies are just right there, you know. Uh, uh, and, and so when I ask my higher power what's the next action, it keeps me away from the fantasy. You know, a, a perfect example that, that I share, there was, this was several months ago, but there was one, one particular weekend day where I was obligated at the meeting. I think I was secretary of the meeting. And I got up to get in my car, and the car wouldn't start. It was obvious the battery was dead. It was obvious because three months ago, my auto mechanic said, you ought to replace the battery. <laughs> and I said, note to self, I'll replace the battery. Now, in my old self, those two facts would have totally sent me off the deep end. Because, God, how could I be such a, you know, ah, you know, did it, did it, I didn't do it, and he said do it, and now that the meeting, the meeting's going to come apart, and, you know, and the whole program will fall apart because I'm not there, and then everyone will hate me, and I can never go back to a meeting again, you know, and then, did it, did it, did it, and then I would get the battery fixed, you know, but still be just reeling for day and days. And, <clears throat> you know, the little bit of recovery I have, in that moment, I just paused, you know, and did. I just asked God for a sense of what to do, what to do. And, and, you know, and I was able to think, these are the action steps I need to do. I need to let someone know I'm not going to the meeting. Then I need to replace the battery. And I avoided the fantasy, you know, and, and stayed focused on the action. And if that makes any sense, I pray every morning. I pray during the day. Every time something good happens to me, I, you know, I just kind of go, thank you, higher power. You know, I don't say it out loud, you know, because people think I'm crazy enough already. But, you know, but that I always, you know, for every little thing, you know, good parking spot, good this, good that. Uh, and, and I try to be very much aware, you know, one of the nice miracles, I think, when you're working the program well and you don't get caught up in the fantasies is your higher power will reveal how much easier life is. Oh, my God, you know, uh, that when I just take the actions... <coughs> a lot of, you know, good things come along. So I don't know if that makes sense, but pray in the morning, follow a routine, and keep that contact, and look for the action. Because, uh, and, and again, I appreciate the questions about higher power. How did I cultivate it? It's always been there, but I think that in that moment, especially the moment that day, that was my prayer, was, you know, prayer to some God, some higher power to help me, and the realization that I needed somebody's help. You know, one of the things I guess that, that and, and, and so, uh, while I've always had a relationship with God and I've always believed in God, I think in that moment, uh, uh, it sounds crazy, but if nothing else, in that moment, the relationship that I feel has changed with my higher power that I try to focus on today is to realize that a great deal of that relationship, you know, uh, what I want to say, when, when, when we turn our will and our lives over to God, you know, I still have to take actions in life. But I try to disassociate myself more and more and let the association be with my higher power. Does that make sense? When I'm close to my higher power, I can just focus on the actions. When I disengage from my higher power and that relationship is not there, all the fantasies show up. You know, uh, I don't know. Does that help? Extremely important. Uh, I do try to exercise. I was talking... Uh, uh, I had an injury last October that kind of sidelined me for a while, and I'm just getting over that, but I do try to exercise. I find that that, uh, that morning ritual for me is absolute. I get up in the morning, and I read. I, I do my readings, and I do my writing, I do my prayers, and then I meditate. Uh, and that's very important to me. And I find that morning ritual, one, keeps me connected. Uh, 
I try to be very mindful of connections with others in program. And I try to monitor myself on that. Because that's an area, like I said, because I'm so prone to isolation, that's a, that's a real crack that will show up. Uh, I try to be mindful of that. And I, I try to be aware, well, I try to be aware of a need for a commitment. I think that uh, that's really important. Uh, I love and mostly attend uh, these two meetings on Saturday and Sunday. And in this past six months of, of uh, uh, jobs, I did not get a position at either one of those meetings. And I went to meetings during the week until I was able to find a position to connect myself to that meeting. Uh, what else? I think that's everything. But I do try to make sure that I never let program take second place. Because, as you know, that's extremely important in this program. Uh, extremely important. Uh, my abstinence... Oh, yeah. Uh, so what is my abstinence and how has it changed while I've been in program? My abstinence is three meals, uh, two snacks. I don't eat uh, uh, what is it? white flour or refined sugar. Uh, I, it's not necessarily part of my abstinence, but you know, I just don't do drive-throughs anymore. You know, uh, I don't play around with foods. Believe it or not, to this day, if I go down the cereal aisle, it, it, it's usually to get oatmeal, and all I do is I the oatmeal and walk down the aisle. You know. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, uh, how it's changed is uh, uh, a discussion that, that my sponsor always says that I try to have with them. Uh, I had a, a, a thought a few months ago where uh, I could try flour, you know. Uh, and uh, I didn't really discuss it with my sponsor, and I had it. And we talked a lot about it, and I wrote a lot about it. And we now call that Biscuit Gate. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, 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 I'm not a crook. I'm just, just a biscuit eater. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, but, but uh, he reminds me, you know, to have that dialogue. You know, and that's the most important, I think, component of my absence today is to be open to that dialogue and be willing to own everything I put in my mouth. And that's the thing I have to gauge the most. You know, I've, uh, I've shared at times that, that uh, in the first three steps of the program, you know, admitting we're powerless, our lives unmanageable, came to believe in a power greater than ourselves and then become willing, to, you know, to turn our will and our, our lives over to the power greater than ourselves. In so many respects, for me and my relationship to food, it's recognizing in step one that any decision I make about food is not going to be a smart decision. I'm powerless over that. Almost every decision I make is raw, you know. And, and my life every day, I see that over and over again. But for step two, for me and my food, is the realization that, that there is an answer out there. Now, uh, this is where maybe in my relationship with my higher power, I've never looked to my higher power to, you know, say, eat this, not that. Uh, I've talked with my sponsor. And for me, step three in my food is a willingness to turn that over. So when my sponsor says, you know, maybe that's not a good idea, you know. Uh, like recently, as I said, I was, uh, uh, I was eating one food, like, you know, just at every meal, you know. And he had this conversation with me. He said, you know, what's going on with that, you know. And I said, well, I just think it's healthy to eat at every meal. And, and he was like, well, you know, how about just once a day, you know. How does that sound, you know. And, and I had to be willing and open to that to be willing to accept. I didn't want to, you know. And so that's, that's a problem that we always have in program in our recovery is how willing am I am to let go of those decisions because I want to own them 
Okay? How do I use the tools in the program? Which do I use and how do I use them? Uh, first of all, uh, uh, I write every day. And my sponsor directs me on the writing. Uh, I do make sure I do that. Uh, I do try to make calls, outreach calls. Uh, I, I really try to sponsor. And, and you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the tools. I'm, I'm weaker at naming the tools. Writing, sponsorship. Uh, I pray every day. And uh, uh, what did I say? Make outreach calls. What? Service. Oh, yeah, service. I did talk about service. I'm sorry. I can't name the tools. I can barely remember my name. Um, but I just mentioned service. I do service, and I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, the other thing I try to do is uh, service that's not necessarily requested of me at a meeting. I try when I can to show up early and stand out front. Uh, and uh, I think that... Any other literature? Oh, and I read literature. I own just about every literature, and I'm always trying to read one. Uh, I have a couple of guys that we we meet on early Tuesday mornings and go over a fixed piece of literature. Yes, that's an extremely good question. So how does my program show up in relationships? Um, that's a really good question because uh, uh, I'm really bad at relationships, first of all. Uh, uh, and, and I just have to own that. But the most important thing that I've learned in this program and I practice in this program is that, uh, you know, in my disease, I'm always so selfish. You know, selfishness, self-centeredness as a cornerstone of my disease. And today in my recovery, my relationship with people starts with, you know, my hope and connection with my higher power to see how can I be of service to you. Uh, and uh, with my girlfriend, that has been the most profound turnaround in my relationships with girlfriends is that uh, I think more how can I be of service to this person uh, rather than what can I get out of this uh, you know and and that really changes a lot even in work you know it's it's funny that in work uh, when I have that attitude of how can I be of service I don't think about what is it in for me but how can I be of service to you I it's just crazy. They always say, and you never believe, but you can get so much back when you do that. First of all, then, it, it gets rid of my expectation. So whatever happens is better than what I was expecting because I wasn't expecting anything. And and people, you know, genuinely like you to be of service to them. <laughs> you know, it's really good, you know. Uh, so, yes. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience losing weight in program? Like, what was your top weight and then what happened when you relapsed? Absolutely. My top weight, I'm, I've been very lucky that I think, you know, <clears throat> if I'm just eating normally, I must have a pretty decent metabolism. My father was skinny as a rail, so I've been very lucky that my top weight has never gotten above about 260, about 250. Right now, I'm in the 190s, uh, uh, so I'm maintaining anywhere between a 40 and 50 pound weight loss from my re last top weight. My biggest top weight I would have reached when I entered the program in 92, and I wasn't weighing myself, but I was wearing size 42 pants and beginning to rationalize what a 44 might look like in my life, you know, because uh, that's what we do. Uh, and uh, uh, when I went out of program then, the second time I came in program, you know, size 40 waist, uh, and today in recovery, I'm size 36. Uh, but I tell everyone it's a 34. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. I literally changed the label. It said this. No, that way I can be honest. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but 
you know, if uh, my sponsor is very big on making sure that I'm not doing actions that say might be directly about losing weight. Like, for example, not having breakfast and thinking that's pretty good for the day, you know. Uh, he makes sure I'm eating a lot, you know. Thankfully, with the sort of salads I make, that's not really a big question, you know. Uh, uh, but he's mindful of that. But, you know, when I eat good foods, and especially, gosh, when I don't eat processed food, it's amazing, you know. That processed foods just, you know, if I had known, you know, that processed food, you know, who knows, I might, you know, uh, uh, it might have been different, but but I eat healthy meals. I get someone else to help me make that decision. And in fact, as I said, whenever my sponsor suspects I'm making a change about with my food and not sharing that with him, he'll bring that discussion up and we'll talk about it. But by eating healthy and eating right, the weight, fortunately for me, came off pretty easily. Um, you know what? Oh yes, yes, yes. So the question was uh, in. Ask, ask it one more time. Make sure I want to make sure I heard it right. Yeah. I think you were asking if if I ever do my rituals, my morning rituals, my service in the program, and reach a point where I begin to feel I can ease off that. No, no, that's an excellent question. So, do I ever feel that I'm doing my rituals and program so well that I can begin to retract from it? That's the one thing that I try to measure on a daily basis. And that's the one area where my sponsor will allow me to feel I'm coming up short. You know what I'm saying? I tend to beat myself up a lot, and he protects me from doing it wrongly. But that is very important because in my story, you know, as I share it, almost every time I've left program, there's been some sort of an, you know, I'm on an ice flow and I've just flowed away. And so today, I'm very careful. It's funny. Sometimes we do get up and things happen, and I forget to do my ritual, and I will stop wherever I am. And even if I'm at work, you know, it hasn't happened often, but, you know, I realize, holy smokes, you know, uh, this, that, and the other. I will stop and do that, you know. Uh, I measure and I try to look at, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, am I getting to the meeting early enough and am I being of service? So that's the area I check on the most. You know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm terribly shy, and so my normal inclination is come in, sit somewhere, and, and so I try to catch myself on that, and I try when I can, you know, to, to find someone who's doing that, and I realize that's me if I don't do this. Does that make sense? So that's the one area I try to keep on check, and I always try to feel I, there's more to do. I think we're almost... I mean, when people were eating foods that were on my abstinence list? Correct. Oh, that's a very good question. So what do I do even in the beginning, if not now, when I'm around people are eating foods that are not on my abstinence list? I very clearly, in my mind these days, I very clearly make a distinction, that's not my food. Yeah, and that's just what I do. Uh, if I have to. But, for example, you know, like, a, you know, Mexican restaurant could be a danger zone for us in program, you know. I don't look at any of those table things and say that's, my, you know, I just don't even look at it one and it's not mine. When I go to, I try to know what food is available before I go. Uh, and if they're not going to have something I want, I'll bring my own. I think one of the other best suggestions uh, that people have made in program, and I've done a few times, is eat before I go and then just not be a part of that eating portion, you know. But <clears throat> I do think one of, the, one of the big gambles you take in program is if you don't plan for those situations. Because I will say that, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say that I haven't assumed something will be there for me. 
but almost every time I've assumed, you know, it's going to be a darn smorgasbord, they'll, surely there'll be something I can eat. And I'll show up, and they put dressing on the salad that I don't want to touch, and it's all lunch and meat, you know. And the next thing you know, you know, I'm trying to see if the toothpick is on my abstinence, you know. <laughs> and I'm grabbing a handful of them, you know, say, this is, this is wood pulp, it's fiber, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, with that, I think I want to thank you guys for letting me share and be a part of the program.